guys, welcome back to another episode of the Ike MMA Show. And I'm enjoying the studio today uh, with BJJ Fighter, John Gibson. John, how are you? Doing well. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show. No, it's a pleasure. And um, actually, I hope after this meeting, we'll, we'll still see you um, coming back to the show more often in the future as well. Of course. Yes, <laughs> of course. As long as I'm welcome. Yeah, of course. So we should have had this interview as far back as January, but because of the, not only because of technical issues, but because of um, time clashing. And yeah, some technical issues that such as in invite, but for some reason, uh, it just wouldn't, <laughs> it just wouldn't you work. the line, right? Yeah. Um, it's been but look, I've been following your content for a long while now, and I can see that a lot of people are chasing you for your time, not just for, you know, for an interview, but also for your knowledge. And when it comes to combat sports, particularly um, BJJ, they want you to train them. So can you just give me a lesson, just uh, well, starting from the beginning, as in the early days, and um, just just a bit of a, you know, a brief on your life story? Yeah, yeah, thank you. So uh, sure, sure. Um, so I guess I, I'll tell it from a perspective of what maybe led me to BJJ, I guess. Yeah, so from an athletic perspective, um, I was never like, and I am not, like a standout athlete in many sports. I was never this really well-rounded person that could just like catch a ball and throw a ball and play basketball and soccer and football. Like that was never me at all. Um, however, I always had the temperament of a rascal and somebody who would talk a little bit and was really small yeah, <laughs> and kind okay. of scrappy. So, so with just that temperament, I naturally wound up on the wrong side of a lot of confrontations. And some of it was nature and nurture. You know, some of it was wrong place, wrong time. And some of it fairly so was me just being a, a big mouth kid and being like, oh, no, what have I done? Um, so anyway, so with that, you know, I, I found um, my first real organized sport, I guess, especially that I ever really got serious about and competed in and uh, was wrestling. But I was kind of late to finding a wrestling. I started in high school, um, freshman year of high school, really one year of middle school wrestling, but I wasn't on the team. They just let me practice with the team because I didn't have the grades academically. Um, so I had some exposure, but I'd never competed. I never put the singlet on and had to face somebody or make a way in officially. So to me, it doesn't count. Um, but uh, so I started in high school. And again, I wasn't a standout state champion. I was I was good. I was a solid wrestler. I, I learned some good fundamentals, and I had one or two tricks. You know, I could have a good lateral drop, which is a throw, um, and a good inside single leg and a, a good duck under. So I had a couple offensive moves that I could hit pretty well, um, but that only that only worked at a certain level. You know, when I got to college, I learned pretty quickly. I was not as tough as I thought. A lot of people have that experience, you know, but <laughs> you level up and you're like, oh, my yeah, God. Yeah. <laughs> and um, – you know, so I club wrestled for a couple of years in college and just did it totally out of fun and love. And, and I let my body, I didn't cut weight. I just competed at where I weighed in. And at that time, I hit my growth spurt. So in high school, I was a really little guy. And I know we had to do pounds. And it was a different conversion in the UK. But um, I wrestled 112 pounds, um, which is a small guy, freshman year, then 119 and then, oh my goodness, I think, anyway, I think my senior year was 140 pounds or something at six foot one. Mm. So I was not a, a big guy. I was very long and gangly. Yeah. Um, 
but anyway, so with that in college, as I grew into my adult body, I got up to about 190 pounds, you know, and healthy and, and still doing the same weightlifting regime and stuff. But you just start to mature, you know, things change. Yeah, of course, yeah. And yeah, so with that, my, my wrestling really improved. You know, I had a year and a half really good run at the senior level and it was standout kind of time. And, and really what that culminated was I won one Pan Am championship as a Greco-Roman wrestler. And that's the international level. And with that, um, I kept competing at the senior level, the U.S. Open, open tournaments, things like that that I could afford and get to and save up to. And I, I did pretty well Greco-Roman because wrestling because I had those throws. I had those over-unders, those underhooks, uh, and those throws, and, and kind of a body type with the long arms that would lend itself to that. So um, I, I peaked very briefly, but I was pretty good for a little run there. And then uh, when I, I thought I wanted to go Olympic ladder, well, I definitely more than thought I aspired to yeah. go Olympic ladder. Sure. Um, I learned again, that was a whole nother level and mm-hmm. I was getting really getting ragdolled. I mean, there's some videos on YouTube where it's just me getting ragdolled and I, and I'm proud of them though, because Hey, I, I showed up. I, I had those yeah, experiences, course, definitely. you know, but um, really with all that led me to BJJ in a way, in a lot of ways, because I, I felt unfulfilled athletically for a few years I, I had a baby I started a career I was lifting weights I was volunteer coaching because I still loved the sport and, and I needed that outlet but I knew that like wrestling wasn't it wasn't going to be it you know I couldn't compete like I, I couldn't compete so and, and I also had my own sort of natural things going on in my yeah, head some inferiority yeah. complexes and some things where even though I was presenting as this 190 pound or 200 whatever pound guy lifting weights at me wrestling, I still felt pretty unsafe and insecure. So I, I think that in part led me to BJJ. But but ultimately, I got there in just a, a roundabout way. A guy uh, mentioned that he competed and went to a school locally here in Chicago to my wife. And my wife came home from a conference. She goes, oh, I met this BJJ guy. And he said, you should go to this academy. And I it was my ego. I'm like, who were you talking to? What is that? Oh, I could probably kick his ass. <laughs> like, it was totally stupid, jealous guy stuff. And I was like, well, I'll go check it out. You know, I'm a big UFC fan. I know, yeah, I could probably, you know, I, I, I mean, I'm going to be a handful. Yeah. That's what I thought. I mean, I really thought that. And I remember walk. well, I remember it vivid. I remember the entire experience vividly. It made me absolutely fall in love with BJJ. But it was like one of those moments in your life where, like, you have these moments and you're like, I'm different after this. Things are different. I'm a different person. Like I learned that hardcore of a lesson from it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and really essentially was I rolled with a brown belt, 140 pound brown belt. I probably had 50 or 60 pounds on him. And um, he tapped me on nine times in a five minute roll. And he completely controlled it. He knew where I was going to go before I knew. And I didn't know where I was going to go. I was just trying to fuck him and be crazy. And I had some fundamental wrestling but it was just, I mean, he just, it was from one to another. He he just subbed me, subbed me, subbed me. And if that wasn't impressive enough, which it was, it was mind-blowing to me that I got, I could be nothing to this guy, no matter how hard I tried. Um, but he didn't hurt, you know, and he uh, got me yeah. full arm bars, heel hooks, straight ankle locks. I mean, rear naked jokes. <laughs> like, he got me in everything. And, and it was at a point where it was like, okay, you know, we both know you got me. And then it kept going in a friendly flow role. And mm-hmm. I remember being the combination of exhausted, embarrassed, or humiliated rather, and also just mind blown. I was like, it, I went and showered after that one role and 
because this was after class and went and showered. And I remember wanting to cry because I was so physically dominated, but I was in love with him. I fell in instant love because I was like, you know, I don't know what it would be like to be a black belt. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. But yeah. if I could do that to a guy like me, that's my goal. That's all I ever want to be able to do, you know? And, um, yeah, so that's been the pursuit, you know. But I fell in love with it immediately. I think I really got lucky. I had a great gym culture. You know, I, I found the right academy for me first. Yeah, yeah. Some people I hear, it's very common, I think. Some people try a lot of different places on and find where they're, can, they're happy or comfortable with teaching. I was very lucky with Jay Valco, Valco BJJ in Chicago, uh, to have – a place that I felt comfortable and, and was able to have my community. Um, and then in that in part with Tap Cancer Out, it gave me an outlet to compete, raise money for a great nonprofit. So those two things in tandem gave me this amazing um, community that I needed for my own self-esteem and, and, and in self-defense, all those things. Uh, but and also like in part, um, I, you know, I was able to kind of transfer that, those selfish things into a better cause bigger than myself with tap cancer out, you know, and help yeah. raise money, pediatric cancer, you know, things that are way bigger than me that, mm-hmm. that beat it. They open those doors to, you know, I never yeah. could have been, yeah. you know, you know, you say that, um, uh, back in your early, early days, you were a bit of a scrappy mouthy kid, but looking at you now, I would never imagine someone like <laughs> you, even as a young 10 or 15, 20 year old, running their mouth, that like you're never ever that sort of person. I mean, yeah, they say people change as you get older, but there are yeah. certain traits that people hold on to throughout their whole life, but you've never given that impression that you're that sort of guy. Oh, I mean, life has really humbled me, <laughs> honestly, you know, yeah. just truly. Uh, and I, I appreciate that, like, because that's, it's not without effort. Tr- truly, you know, because I do have those instincts for sure, and 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 not an ever. It never comes from a place of superiority. I've never been that person. I've never looked or felt at anyone and been like, I could do that better, or why them, not me. I've never ever had that lens or perspective. So I, that's not at my heart. But I'm definitely. I I don't know if I didn't see something or if it didn't look right. I I just found myself in situations where I'm like, before I ever thought, I would say something like, Why are you doing that? And then someone will look at me, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh, shit, I'm in a confrontation. <laughs> you know, I'm like, why did I even uh, say yeah. that, you know? So just silly things like that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. So I, I think, obviously, with age, the ego is definitely chilled out, and thank God. You know, <laughs> that's just a good thing. But um, I also have a lot of admiration for other people. Like, you know, truly, like, I, I looked at, I mean, not to bring it there, but, like, my podcast guests, all of those people are people that have, like, just inspired me, you know, and I wrote them as you did me one day, you know, and it was like, yeah, hey, you don't know me, yeah. <laughs> but I'm watching, and I just think <laughs> you're doing X, Y, Z, that's yeah. pretty special, you know? Um, so I don't know, you know, so I try to, like, I try to keep perspective, and, and, and I love a comeback story. I feel like that's all of us. We're all, yeah, everybody yeah, identifies yeah. as being an underdog, right? We all have mm-hmm. day one at something. Yeah. We all start from zero somewhere. Absolutely, um, yeah. Yeah. But I also know that there was, there's, there's, they, although you may not like to touch on it so much, there was also some, the dark days as well. Uh, and I remember saying to you when we were communicating on a messenger on Instagram that there was a post I think your wife had put up or something. I think it was her voice narrating the post, a short clip. And I saw some text there, and I, I'm going to tell you that when I saw, I've said to you before that when I saw one particular sentence, I was shocked. I mean, I was sitting on the bus, and I said, what the F? You know, I was really <laughs> shocked. But what it said, I, I know 
you know, it's smart, but I'll no, take it back. Yeah. And in all of the pictures, in all of your content, most of the time you are smiling, but you think, God, someone goes through this sort of hell and they still manage to come out positive the other end. Well, thank you. Yeah. Again, it's perspective. You know, I think like, uh, I think about some of my biological sisters and I'm like, oh God, they had it worse, you know, in their way, you know, and, and, um, so, and, and, and to add some kind of context to that was I was orphaned when I was three years old and, and me and my biological sisters, which there were three of us, so there were four of us kids total. Mm-hmm. We were all two years apart. So there's like, let me think it's seven, five, three, and then like a baby, like a three month old or something, mm-hmm. you know? So any social worker had their handfuls in inner city Philadelphia in 1986. <laughs> no infrastructure for this, really. Yeah. And to, to place five kids. And then all with very individual high needs. You know, myself, not potty trained, had lice, had long hair. Like, I mean, a lot of issues, you know. Mm. And then the girls had their issues, too. And they, yeah. they were older, so they'd seen more. And, you know, so we ultimately all got split up. You know, and, and there's bouncing around for all of us. And we all have our own crazy roller coaster life story we could probably talk about and choices and stuff. But ultimately, um, it's just weird. It's perspective. I got out of inner city Philadelphia. I got placed with the family pretty long term. And, you know, in the suburbs, middle, upper class, went to the best public school you could go to. That, you know, right next to their, I mean, why would you even pay for a private school? It was so good. And went to school with kids that drove brand new Mercedes and Lexus and all these things. And, and, um, I integrated, I assimilated, I blended in, but people didn't understand my, my specific situation. You know, and I wasn't going home to a place where I felt really loved or wanted. And I wasn't. And, uh, but you don't talk about that. Why would you share that? You know, and I was also afraid of getting kicked out at any point, you know, at any, at any point I could have been placed in a children's home or something. So like I had to kind of obey and be obedient to that structure and those weird set of rules. Um, but then I wanted to fit in, you know, so it was like, I had to do the part-time job to pair to buy the extra clothes or anything, you know, like just people didn't understand why they would go to McDonald's or a pizza place after a football game and they could eat. And I'm like, oh, I'm not hungry. I had no money, you know, and it was like things like that for years. So, but I assimilated people. know I fooled a lot of people. It's pretty amazing. It wasn't until the documentary came out that I had so many people write me and it was about 50, 50. Some of them go, God, that makes so much sense. You were so weird at X, Y, Z. And it was like me having a panic attack probably. Or they were like, I had no idea, John, you know, and I got equally those messages too. Um, but anyway, so, so, um, my own kind of unique journey there, you know, and I, I, I was always sort of seeking, I think I've really satisfied it, which is a beautiful thing to be able to say, like, but so much of my life was just seeking safety and, and I interpreted it wrong. You know, as a kid, I wanted, that meant strong. And then it meant tough and, you know, hard ass, cold, nothing can hurt me and for a long time. And then it meant, um, self-defense, you know, capable, you know, and like it just, it had all these weird interpretations that became obsessions. I had to achieve these certain things, or I felt like I had to achieve these things in competition or in fights in real life, just silly things uh, in order to, to satisfy that. And ultimately I realized like I did satisfy it and it was through jujitsu, but it was not through any of those meathead, abusive, destructive ways. It was all through giving. It was all through what people gave me, like learning like, oh gosh, this is a thing where, this takes ultimate participation. You know, if one person makes one decision, 
you know, just to be a jerk, you'd really hurt them. Like you're giving your body to your partner here. And that trust forms a level of intimacy and that intimacy, you know, it's just, it made this, it gave me this community and this sense of uh, security that I've been seeking my whole life. And, uh, and it was, I was doing it all the wrong way. It's crazy. Would you say that the, um, the combat sports, cause I asked because what happened to you, I don't often talk about this on a public platform, but, um, uh, my brother and I, we did go through something similar, but I think our own case, um, our, my own situation at the time, I don't think it can even come close to yours because, well, for one thing, my parents were still around. So, um, it was nowhere near as bad as yours. But it's okay. You... you don't have to compare them, though. I mean, I mean, they're all sort of the same in a way, you know, yeah, like, not, but, but please yeah. go on. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you say that the BJJ and, and the combat sports that you took up that you, um, that you really enjoyed, that you got involved in, would you say that that kind of helped you have a way of venting out all the frustrations that you had accumulated over the years? Yeah, for sure. And that's a great question. You know, what I, what I say, and I've gotten a little pushback from my friends in the wrestling community, which I love. Wrestling is my first love. Um, I love BJJ more, <laughs> but, but there, it'll never, you never forget your first love and those fundamentals. Mm-hmm. I, still keep, I try to keep sharp. I don't ever want to forget it, but, but for me, and, and it was just my personal experience and opinion, but for me, wrestling was that perfect outlet for that. And I needed that as a teenager and young adult. I need it because it's a fight on a map and you can keep it within the rules. Don't be dirty, but man, you can get out of a lot of aggression. <laughs> so it was beautiful yeah, yeah. for that. And at that time, that is the outlet, the healthy outlet I needed. However, <laughs> it wasn't until I found BJJ that I realized there was a lot about wrestling I really didn't like a lot of it. And, and it was cultural stuff. It was that tough guy mentality mm-hmm. where even on the bus, even in the locker room, it's just 24-7. It can't be the two and a half hours of practice where you have to be the alpha male and the toughest guy in the room. Yeah. It's always, and if you're at the hotel on a trip, you're still, you know, and there's a, at least in the, and look, I, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to make it, look, I had wonderful memories, experiences, friends. I don't regret sure. any of it. It's all great. But yeah. it's like toxic sometimes, you know, like it just was 24 seven that way. And, uh, and, and I'm not saying the culture entirely, but just in my experience. And, and again, I didn't necessarily think that forever until I found BJJ when I found that sense of community where it was way more giving and people wanted to show you something cool they saw on the internet or try it out with their partner. And people would agree to get up and roll early before work or late after work just to get the extra opportunity in. And, and if you're competing, they're like, what can I do to help you prepare? You know, it was just such a giving, like yeah. giving thing. And, and and to me, I was like, I was in such need of that. I didn't know, you know? So I was like, Oh my God, these people are so willing to like leave their family and kids and sacrifice this two hours for yeah. someone that's virtually a stranger. Like, you know, like it, it meant so much to me and still does mean so much to me that it, it was just, I could not not love that more than when I had wrestling. You know, and maybe if I were a better wrestler, people would have treated me better. I don't know. But, you know, I don't know. It was not the same. No, you know, I'm, I I can't speak for those people who trained with you. But, uh, you know, for me, what really got me into probably following combat sports, particularly mixed martial arts, uh, was during the pandemic back in 2020 around the summer springtime um, because all the gyms over here were closed in the UK for the first proper lockdown 
Um, I still want to keep active and fit. So I did contact some of the kickboxing coaches. I did bump into the gym when, before the, before the lockdown. And he agreed to have one, two sessions with me in the park when everything was really quiet. And so after doing some sessions in the pads, just kickboxing and punching and so on, after doing a few sessions, I have to say, I, it felt very therapeutic, really. And, you know, it became quite addictive just thinking all the nonsense you had to go through in the past few days. And, yeah, you feel like you were just renting out that steam. I thought, I actually really like this. I want to do it again. After the next session, I still want to do it again. I, I, you know, I need to actually improve on this. You know, it becomes really, really addictive to something that, and it's true what they say, it does help keep you calm. Mm. in a quite confrontational um, situation with a stranger or with a friend or family, whoever it is. So uh, I think it would be really beneficial for, for everybody to do, at least do one form of combat sports. It's good for your mm-hmm. mental health and for your physical health as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you touched on something there. I think it's really interesting. Um, and I agree with you, but I've thought a, I've thought a little bit about that because I, I'm just trying to understand myself better, you know, and, and since finding DJJ and all that stuff, I am 100% less likely to ever be in a confrontation in my life than I've ever been before. And I always thought, like, oh, that's what happens. Like, black belts are that way, and the cool, secure guys are that way. And I always thought that would be, well, because they know they could kick everyone's ass. And I don't think it's that anymore, you know, at least not for me, because I don't, I definitely can't kick everyone's ass. <laughs> that's for sure. Oh, yeah. I can't believe that's for dang sure. But I think I, I've learned so much more about the realistic consequences through sparring and even friendly sparring, like where you're just practicing a kimura or something, and you're sore and tweaked the next two or three days. You're like, just, oh, yeah, and yeah. there was nothing. You were just practicing, repping, right? You know, so I don't, I think to me, I'm more like, God, even though I might be more capable than ever, especially to an untrained person, if, if I had to defend myself or my family, yeah. I would, it would be the last thing I would want to do, which is so crazy to me because I think about, yeah. sorry about that, but I think about me even five years ago or 10 years ago, I would have been way more likely, which is insane because I would have been way less prepared knowing what yeah. I know now. Sure. Yeah. Um, now, as, as, there's quite a few things that I want to want to ask you, but I want to make sure that I'm over on time. Um, your YouTube channel again, it, it kind of falls into um, where I, where I mentioned that was following a lot of your content. And, all right, um, so I was, I was talking about your YouTube channel, well, your podcast more or less. Um, you know what? Because I was following your, I've been following your, your content as I was saying before, and um, I've got to say, you've interviewed a lot of big names in mixed martial arts, particularly in the UFC. I mean, when I say big names, you've you've gone as high as far as Diego Sanchez, especially when he was in, was going through the going through the debacle with uh, Joshua Fabia sometime sometime <laughs> last year. It looks like that whole issue's died, and they've yeah. severed ties uh-huh. and gone their separate ways completely. Yeah, yeah I believe so. Yeah, that's that's. That was, so he and I, okay, Diego and I have corresponded a little bit since then over the past year. Um, I think he, ch- he definitely changed management, so it's chilled out in the past few months. Um, but, he, you know, we, we communicate through DM and IG and stuff. And um, so, yeah, yeah, that was kind of crazy, man. That interview put me on the map. Like, that was probably within the first ten interviews I ever did. Like, it was really, and the first nine were people I knew you know, friends, people from jujitsu were growing up. Like now I was messaging celebrities and, and UFC fighters always. And Diego was one of them 
Fabia responded. Everything went through him. This is like the exclusive. <laughs> I've never talked about any of it. Oh, please go um, ahead. Yeah, I mean, I've never talked about any of it. So he, it all came through Fabia, the, the initial communication, right? And I was like, I want to interview you. I want to interview you. And this is, again, like you said, every day he was in the news, every day. And it was going to be Diego's final fight. And they were going to Vegas, and the last one on his contract. They fly all the way out to Vegas. They're there for the pre-fight, all the obligations, the weigh-in, the press, all the all the stuff that they have to do. And uh, Fabia has words with the press and the media, says some disparaging things, and they, they, they cancel the flight. They say, forget it. Diego, you're out. You're too much. So Fabi started laying some groundwork for what looked like was going to be a lawsuit. Basically, he asked for auditing of medical records and things, and I think that's what happened first. And then the UFC said, hey, 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 we're happy to do that. But if you're telling us there's any issues, let's call up this fight because we care about Diego. Mm-hmm. Which, if you know, you know what I'm saying? That sounds yeah, like an altruistic thing. It's, of course not. It's very punitive. You know, Diego needed that payday, and um, and he was cleared by all the doctors. So, so but anyway, it, they had to do what they had to do. You know, again, this was a move that seemed pretty litigious on, on behalf of uh, Fabio, right? Anyway, so complex. It was a good controversy. Everybody was uh, really interested. This this compelled the MMA community for, for a couple weeks. So Fabio responded to one of my... 10, 10 or a dozen requests for an interview with Diego. And he goes, hey, I'll come on your platform. You know, specifically, what questions do you want to ask me? And I said, hey, let's talk about the ultimate fighter. I want to talk about how you stay positive during all this controversy. Because I very early on, I made the decision, I want my show to be about positivity. Yeah, no, of course. Yeah. Never about being, burying anyone. or Even even when it's like negative, I'm going to try to turn it positive. I'm like, well, the silver lining, you know, I'm going to try to find it, you know. So that specifically, I said, how do you stay, you know, positive during all this controversy? And that would have been for both of them because obviously Fabio was like such a heat magnet, um, you know, so controversial. Um, anyway, and and the third question, I honestly don't even remember. So, and this is relevant to the story. Again, I never ever talk about this, but this is like me defending myself a little in retrospect. But but I'll also take some accountability. Um, so I get my neck fused, and I don't know the day of the week, but let's say it's on a Monday. You know, so I go in, I have surgery, they open my neck up, they put in the stuff. Um, Hold on. And I have that whole process, right? And, Hold on. Um, Can you see me? Working. No, no. Okay, God, let me turn my camera on. Just help myself. That's it. Sure. Oh, there you are. Sure. That's a, okay. At least you won't feel awkward. Yeah, no worries. Yes, yeah. but it's nice to have a face. Yes, um, but anyway, so so anyway, I have my neck fused, and within forty-eight hours, maybe less, probably closer to thirty-six hours post-surgery, I just been discharged from the hospital. I'm home. I have that live interview with Diego and Fabia. So I'm like very foggy. Um, yeah, it, it went off the rails almost immediately. You know, Fabia had his agenda. He wanted to say some things. You know about Dana some, and Sean Shelby, and he made some pretty high, some pretty crazy accusations. Um, Diego was interested in defending himself because Cowboy Cerrone had made some comments, uh, you know, questioning his sexuality. It was just it was kind of a low blow. It was just a silly nonsense thing. And he was just trying to be funny. I don't think he honestly meant it, but 
that obviously Diego, Diego wanted to address that. And, um, and then a couple other just things, you know, again, Fabia, I, I, it's a blur, you know, truly it's a blur to me, mm-hmm. uh, Fabia, but, but it ended up going like 90 minutes. It was like a 25 minute scheduled thing, like 30 minutes maybe on Zoom. Yeah. It just kept going and going. And, uh, <laughs> And, and I couldn't stop it. I couldn't pull it back. And, and I mean, there was some racist stuff. There was just some stuff. Like, there was just wow. some crazy stuff said, man. So I put that live. You know, we go live. We put it out, I mean, within hours, you know, my editor. And out of nowhere, my, my channel maybe had 300 subscribers or something. I had probably 30,000 views, 50,000 views, 100,000 views within 12 hours. And the comments were in the hundreds. And the thumbs downs, and they were all 99% negative. <laughs> and it went over to my all social media accounts. And this is not a per, like a pearly or anything. This is not hyperbole, rather, yeah. um, or exaggeration. I was getting death threats, legitimate, I will kill you and your family stuff. How could you? You scumbag. You dirtbag. Oh, I swear to God. And it was, it was like, you're so exploitive. And how could you do this? And you really believe this madman? And, and, and then people would like, it got creepy, man. It was like, oh, I searched this stuff. He's all about XYZ. He works at this place. Holy shit. Like this is in the comments. <laughs> like this was like scary, scary, but this was peak controversy. This was like fight week. And the night before he was supposed to have that farewell fight. And Fabius says this crazy stuff and it gets clipped up and it gets shared and reassimilated by MMA mainstream news. Mm -hmm. So I think I had it on my channel 24 hours maybe Mm -hmm. before I pulled it. And I I wrote Diego and Fabia who was not happy about it. And I said, I, I can't stand this. This is not what I'm about at all. Like I was like, I'm all about positivity. And I was like, this I, oh, go ahead. Yeah. So sorry to interrupt you, but I think at the time I remember that um, that time from uh, is that from about around May through to about probably July, August, through all of the spring and summertime, it was a hot topic in in combat sports because from from the um the the uh, confrontation that happened between Fabia Sanchez just as as a, as a team and between the the common commentary team is it um not 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 the um. As a few um, fighters, uh, John yeah. Anik, um, uh, yeah, the whole team, the Irish Dragon, and then, yeah, I think Fabio came to confront them, and I think a lot of them just told him off to say that, well, "Who are you? What are you talking about? Nobody knows who you are." Don't tell us how to do our job. If if um, uh, Sandra has a problem with what we're doing, he can speak for himself, you know that sort of thing. So I mean, a lot of things are falling after that. Even the video of Fabio having. Diego Sanchez being hung upside down. Oh, and him hitting. That was the day that, after my interview. Yeah. And people were like, well, you're going to say he's not crazy now? I was like, oh, my God. Yeah, I know. Like, And I'm like, and poor Diego. I'm a Diego fan. I yeah, love yeah. Diego. So I, I'm like, this is undeniable he's being taken advantage of here. Like, holy, and, and I don't want to play a part in being complicit. Like, holy yes, yeah. crap. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it was crazy. And, and yeah, yeah, it was crazy. And, and I wrote Diego as I, and again, it was, it was only 24 hours, but that was enough, you know, to get that narrative out there. And, and again, I pulled it and I wrote Diego and I go, look, this is not what I'm about, but this isn't going to serve you. I, you know, I go, this actually 
in a way, I, I hope I said it more eloquently, but I was like, it's not a good look. <laughs> like, it just isn't whatever we had hoped to achieve. We didn't do it, you know? Mm. And, uh, anyway, so I, you know, and, and he was like, no, I get it. I understand. And then he and Fabia split ways weeks later, like two, three weeks yeah. later. It was not long. And, um, Fabia, to my knowledge, I'll say, uh, what are you supposed to say? Uh, allegedly, allegedly, uh, Diego paid him like 100k cash to kind of pay him out and whatever he felt he was owed for whatever work he had done or whatever obligations that were in place. Seems a little bit like extortion to me, personal opinion. Who knows? Uh, and he, I don't know. You know, he got him out of his life. And and to my knowledge, they have no contact. He has new management. You know, he's he's had a couple. He's fought since. You know, in the past year. Um, and I'll always support him. I like, I'm, yeah. a, I'm still a Diego fan, you know, still a super fan. Mm-hmm. Um, I begged him to come back on the show many times, you know, like every, mm-hmm. every time I, I get a win to like retire the series, the podcast series, I write Diego. I'm like, man, you gotta be the last one. Like, it's gotta end with you. It started with you. Like, you put me on the map. <laughs> and he's like, yeah, no, nah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> but I think. Minutes. Because of um, what happened, and you say it's your, it's just an opinion of thought that maybe um, the uh, the amount of money he paid Fabio was probably just uh, it probably was extortion. I believe probably it was because you just look at the whole situation. Any time they're having a conversation, say between you and or another interview or between whoever that involves both of them, you notice that Fabio always be doing most of the talking. Sanchez always tends to always have to take a back seat. Mm. And you know, it's like there's a lot of manipulation, lots of things are going on. I think there was even certain rumors that maybe something not so good was happening in between the two, which is probably why um Diego had to pay him the amount of money he paid him to finally so he could sever ties completely. You know. For sure. And I'm not a therapist and I don't want to pretend like I can I can really break it down, but in my again, one humble man's opinion, I think that there was some for real manipulation going on course, and yeah. and Again, now in hindsight and with distance, I can even see things that in the moment I thought, well, you know, maybe Joshua was doing good stuff for him. Like he was saying that he was having him getting his brain tested and he had him go to like Al-Anon for some addictive behavior. And, and I was like, you know, that's in my mind at that time. I thought, God, you know what? Everyone's beating this guy up, but you wouldn't do those type of things unless you cared for someone or you were concerned for their their longevity, mm. their brain health. Them, yeah. and at the time, that's what I wanted to believe. And now, again, in hindsight, I think no, hell no. He was using all of that to control Diego. Say, hey man, you okay. can't make decisions. Your brain is it's battered. You can't be trusted. You could trust me. I got you. I got you. Let me be your whatever your protection, your sort. And I think Diego is a trusting person. And I think yeah. that he's, you know, and he, it just, that's a slippery slope. You let someone get too much control of your of course, life yeah. and decisions, you know. But um, even now, like, I look back at things, and I'm like, man, that actually, I thought, I wanted to believe there was some good stuff going on. I, I think it was kind of used to, to break down Diego rather than build him. Of course. No, of course. I think after, um, if I remember this correctly, after um, Diego had released a video on Twitter on Instagram saying that him and Fabi had um, severed ties, Fabi went on an interview with two American, I think an Australian and American journalist, some in the US, and did an interview with those guys, and he practically threw um, um, Diego Sanchez under the bus, just sort of slagging him off and slandering him. So it was obvious that he was trying to probably capitalise and take advantage of the situation, but it was 
very unsuccessful in doing so. Unfortunately, people can remember him now for the wrong reasons, not for the right yeah. reasons. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, that shows at the end of the day, like people have falling outs, right? Like people have disagreements, business relationships dissolve, you outgrow each other, whatever, right? That That's life, you know, yes, like that yeah. does happen. But if your first opportunity is to go out and bury someone and throw them under the bus, it says a lot more about you and your character. And what I think that that's spoke to me pretty loud and clearly and probably everyone else in the MMA community, especially the MMA community, is that was his last gasp. Like, you know what? Who's going to give him a microphone now? Like, yeah, you can't trust yeah. the man. He's negative. And if that's your ride or die, and then the next day you can go out and, like, makes a pretty heavy guy. I heard the interview as well. And it was just, you know what I appreciated about that interview a lot? And I'm glad you brought that up was they, those interviewers, I think it was a man and a woman, both. Yes, I think, yeah. They did everything I did not do. And I'm so <laughs> yeah. proud of them. I'm yeah. so proud of them. They held him to the fire. They said, that's not right. Well, if that's, if that's even true, why would you say that? Why would you share that? Of course, yeah. I was like, you know, I was so proud of them. And that's exactly how that he should have been handled in that situation. Um, but but it was pretty low class. It's low class move by him, mm, in my yeah. opinion. Anyway. Um, I, I want to say, well, just one last thoughts on the topic. I did ask um, Joshua Faber to come come into my show just to I want to get his side of the story because I can yes, see yeah. that a lot of people were they were like giving him a hard time. But I want to hear both sides of the story. I mean, Diego's. I'm sorry, you can kind of get a good idea of what's happening on his part, but on the person who's been giving a hard, hard time, you, you don't really get to hear their opinion because people are shouting them down most of the time. Yeah. Fabio actually refused, and maybe he was doing me a favour because I think a lot of people did want to avoid the guy. Mm. Just not to Man, it was an onslaught, but it was timing for me, you know? Look, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I would discourage you. I would just, I've already warned you. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, if he, you know, there's a story there, man. I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Well, it is what it is now. Um, hopefully, Fabia has uh, learned his lesson because his 15 minutes of fame, he didn't use the opportunity properly. And so uh, I, people have said that what, what he's doing, the, uh, the the business he runs, actually, School of Self-Awareness, it's actually a cult, nothing more. You yeah, know, <laughs> there's a lot of those accusations, right? And, like, mm -hmm. again, like, taking ownership before he came on my show i felt exactly how you felt i was like let's get this side this guy's side of the story and i was like let me do my research and i have dude in the comments they ate me alive for that line because i was like i did my research and they destroyed me because they were like oh really you did your research of a cult <sighs> what i found the content that i found out there at that time of the school self-awareness um, was fine. It was all uplifting. It was powering. It was by yoga and some self-defense. Like it was yeah. not in group fitness. It was, it was 95% okay. There was one thing that I was like, and it was cringe for me, but I, I chose at that time to overlook it. Basically it was something along the lines of his origin story being like, he helped heal his granddad from something, cancer, vision, something very dramatic. I remember right? that story, yes, I remember that. That yeah. was on his website, and it was like, and that was when he, he learned he had this innate, whatever he had, you know, calling or passion, and, and decided to pursue that stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, like, you healed your granddad's cancer. <laughs> like, 
<laughs> like, at like, you know, I remember thinking like, oh, that's a little, you know, whatever. Yeah, but, I know. but I was like, but, but I, I was like, but I'm going to give him a pass on everything else. You know, I was like, Diego is as highly decorated as he can come. If he picks this guy to train him, that works for me. I go, mm-hmm. I'm not an MVP coach or trainer. I don't know, you know. If he's good enough for him, I'll take Diego's word on that. I go, everything else here I'm reading is pretty positive. It's actually, it's nothing like he is in, in interviews in person. He's so hateful. But the the stuff on the website was pretty positive. It was pretty contrasting, actually. Um, but, yeah, but I got a live for that. People are like, you did your research on the cult? <laughs> so, but, yeah, it does – yeah, I don't know. I don't know, man. It could be culty too. I, I don't know how many people belong or subscribe. You know what I'm saying? I don't. I don't know if it's a thing. I've anymore. heard. I've heard stories, and um, the way this um, situation happened, I think is a perfect perfect example. Everybody thinks, and I spoke. To, well, before this um, this issue happened, I think was it before or after? But uh, when I had a co-host, we um, we interviewed. You know, McDojo Life. Yeah, yeah, that's yes. oh, dude, I love that. <laughs> oh, they're the best. Very nice guy. He said that when it comes to cults, everybody thinks that there's there's no way they'll be tricked into joining one. And I said, there's not. I I I would definitely look for the telltale signs. You know, I wouldn't be. I'd be very wise to him falling into that trap. And he said, oh, you think so? You just wait. Just wait until you you feel probably when you're at your lowest, something serious has happened or heinous has happened in your life. And the Diego Sanchez situation isn't perfectly good example of that. Um, at the time, I heard that Diego Sanchez's wife had even kind of double crossed him or something. There was a business they were running, and he'd been betrayed, and money had been extorted out, of, stolen out of his account, something like that. So he probably felt, um, as well as other things going on, so he probably felt he was being used and abused, and for the whole world was against him. Then along come, comes this guy, Joshua Fabia. And everything starts to down spiral from there, you know. Oh yeah, and, you're ripe for you're so yeah. vulnerable. Who can you trust? Yeah, yeah, you're so vulnerable. And then add in like the one thing you've done your whole life fighting, you're coming to the tail end of that, and you mm-hmm. have to recognize. I mean, I just know from wrestling and BJJ, which is not the same, but I know how hard it was for me to let that go. So like, like I still train, but like, I don't know that I'll ever compete again since the neck fusion. And I've had two lower back fusions. I've ruptured the bicep. I've had crazy injuries. So I probably shouldn't compete again, <laughs> but I, I'm not willing to say totally, totally done. I'd love to do one more tap cancer. But anyway, but I probably never will. And I probably shouldn't. And I think about someone like Diego who got punched in the head for sparring and in real fights. Some of the most yeah. prolific fights, him and Clay Guida. Oh my God. And and these legendary fights, and I'm like, even that, anybody wouldn't trust themselves. Like you would want who who doesn't want security, a partner, you know? And like, and in, in that business where it's so cutthroat, you would literally have to bleed for your money. You yes, literally have yeah. to give. You have to give short term, long term, a hundred. Like you, you never know the unknown, the risk, right? Walking in that cage, when you walk out, you will not be the same. That's all you know. You're going to collect damage. It's just to what percentage. Do you knock him out in one punch and just bruise your knuckle? Best case scenario. Or are you the other end of that and you get knocked out and that could have taken years off your life? Maybe. Are you not going to remember your grandchild's name now? Mm. I don't know. You know, we don't know. Mm. We won't know. You know, so we know he got his bell rung that night and that hurt. His jaw could be broke and he's concussed. And for the next two weeks, he's not going to taste food and he's going to be light sensitive and feel the spins. But we don't know if he's going to remember his grandkid's name, you know? Mm. So it's like, would they give 
it's like uh, this is why I hold fighters in such regard. You know what yes, they give yeah. just to make it there. I know what it's like to train, but to do that and then face that monster, that other train killer that night, and then to know you're never the same after that, for better or worse. They sacrifice a lot. You know, I, I hold them in such high regard. And, and they're, they're 40 years old. It's not our 40 years old. Yeah. You know, they have different miles on their body. Of course, yeah. And, um, you know, I don't know. I really, I love fighters. You know, the more, the more fighters I meet and talk to, the more I appreciate them. And, yeah. and in a way, the, it's definitely makes me the less I like watching like stand up battles and crazy, like even like kickboxing, I look at differently now. Or Muay Thai, I see these knockouts and I'm just like, oh, you know, I think way differently about it than I used to. I don't know. And, you know, not just what the, the abuse is taking in the cage, but the abuse is taking outside of the cage as well. Not even uh, when they're sparring, but, you know, the weight cuts. They say that's the hardest part of the preparation <laughs> for a fight. You know, um, having to yeah, make weight, uh, the sweating, you have to have, be on a restrictive diet, you have to cut so much weight. I mean, like, the things that I've heard, and I've repeated this so many times, some, some, some of the guys have lost so much weight, the brain get rattles in, in their, in their skull. Sometimes right. on the weighing day, on the weighing day, they'll step on the scale and they'll collapse because the body is basically running on itself. There's not, there's no, no more nutrition in there. Yeah, I mean, you can dehydrate your brain just like any other organ, you know, if you pull too much water. And, and um, yeah, the UFC got really strict about, at least the UFC, and I don't know if Bellator does this or not, but I imagine I imagine they, they recognize the commissions probably do the same thing every state. state. But anyway, yeah, the, in the 10 years ago, a decade ago, uh, fighters would cut maybe 20 pounds of water weight, 25 pounds if their body would let them before they'd go into all kidney failure. And um, and you do that through like Epsom salt baths and you know hydrate or dehydration, just lack of water and saunas and running, just lots of different techniques. Um, anyway, all those different things, wearing layered clothes and all, and it was never safe. It's a very unsafe practice. But a decade ago, you you could take IVs afterwards, and you would go get an IV from a nurse or a doctor right after your weigh in. And it would have all sorts of electrolytes and water and saline, and it would just just rehydrate their body. And even then, that may not have brought you back to 100%, but I've had that technique before many years mm-hmm. ago, um, and it does make you feel great. And if they put vitamins in there, B vitamins, legal things, um, you feel good. You feel really good. People do that for, like, hangovers now. You can get that in Vegas and all sorts of places. <laughs> you can get it at home delivery. It's crazy. And they'll put all sorts of extra vitamins. But anyway. Yeah. They, they outlawed that because they said, hey, that's obviously like performance enhancing and it's helping people cut weight in this, un, this dangerous way. So they thought that would eliminate weight cutting. Well, it didn't eliminate weight cutting. Now people continue to cut weight and now they just go into a fight way less hydrated because your body can only rebound and absorb so much. Exactly. Uh, and, and also you'll get edema. It'll collect around your ankles before it goes back to your, your organs because they can't process an influx too quickly unless it has the right amount of potassium to sodium ratio. So you can't just drink a Gatorade and be like, I'm good. It's more, if you really pull 20 pounds or more, it's very complex. You, you get a num- you damaged your body. You hurt your kidneys. You hurt your brain. Like irrefutably, it's going to take a while to rebound from that trauma. These people go and fight 12 hours later. Know, <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. So, mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's pretty wild. Again, just to make it to the cage, they may be diminished. Their elbows or shoulders could be pulled out of the socket from practicing arm bars a month before, like, or whatever, you know. They're, yeah, so the sacrifice is immense. It's it's just physically, emotionally, it's it's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I've got what you told me. You only got about 20 minutes left, so I'll try as quick as I can. Um, can you give me your give some uh, just a brief description and just tell us about what the stigma app is all about? It's been out there for a while now, but um, uh, what's it really uh, about? No, thank you, thank you for asking. So there's actually going to be a full launch. It'll be available UK as well um, next month on the first. So August first, uh, everybody can go to their Apple Store or whatever phone they have and download Stigma app. Uh, sure. Basically, the premise of this app is to help people not feel alone, you know, to give some hope. And uh, it's a free app. Anybody can download it. We encourage everybody to download it. And you can do it anonymously or you can credential yourself and set up a profile too. Um, And basically, there's two main functions. Now, we're building a whole community. There's already several hundred people that use it every day. But um, you could go in there and anonymously go in there and do one of two things, essentially. You can offer hope or you can ask for hope from a stranger. And with that, you can basically say, hey, I'm, I'm John. I'm having a really rough day. Um, you know, the worst, my house burned down, my car broke down, whatever, you know. Or, or I'm just having a bad day. I recently lost someone I love or whatever, you know. Um, I don't know if anyone's been through this before, but if you have any tips, whatever, you know. Or I moved to a new town, I'm lonely. Do you know anything? Yeah, have you been here before? And then you send that message out. And you can do it just text. You can do it just audio. You can do a video message. And instantaneously, you're going to get messages of hope back. People are going to get pinged with that. And you're going to be shocked that this community is going to go, I just moved into town two months ago. It was horrible. I I couldn't leave my house for days. Or they go, yeah, I'm also grieving my mom's loss. And it's really difficult. Or whatever, you know, whatever you're going through. My kid is having trouble in school or my whatever, you know. And um, I've been on there. I've given hope many times. I've asked for hope many more times <laughs> when I'm just having a hard day. Um, and that's what it's all about, you know. And it's just a place to either offer hope or give hope. So uh, Stigma app, and again, it'll be worldwide available for download out of the App Store for all major applications, phones, uh, August 1st. And when someone does ask for uh, for hope, if they're feeling really down in the dumps, when they're feeling at their lowest, um, the people who provide the feedback who will be answering them, is it people who tend to be local, as in probably in the same near districts or within a certain radius, or can it be people from all over the world who are also using the same app? Yeah, no, there's no constraints. It's all over the world. So so we're, there's no geographical limitations. Um, I don't know that the programmers have been able to make it to where you can choose to opt into like a, a particular zip code or not. That's, a, that's an interesting concept. But right now, you would receive your message from home from all over the world. And usually it's people. You have the option when you log in there to kind of credential yourself. Again, you could just do it anonymously and ask, or you could say, like myself, I'm in there. My profile says, I'm John. I have PTSD. I suffer from depression and I have ADHD. <laughs> so whenever somebody's struggling with any one of those things, it'll ping me and say, Hey, you want to offer this person a hope? And then I may watch their video or listen to their audio and then go, God, ooh, they said something like, yeah, yeah, I know exactly how they feel right now. 
and then I'll stop what I'm doing normally. And, you know, especially if it's somebody that's like dealing with depression or, or something that I really know is hard and just knowing, Hey, you're not alone. Sometimes is all you need. And a stranger is good enough. It's like way good enough. Maybe that's better. Yeah. You don't want to tell your mom or your brother you're struggling, you know, you're like maybe sometimes a stranger's better. So, um, so yeah, so, so, and, and I think this community, it's a lot of people like me, they answer really quick and, you know, they, they understand what you're going through. John, are there, are there, or is there anyone you want to give a shout out to sponsors, family, friends, affiliates? You know, um, you know, thank you for the opportunity. I'm going to say first and foremost, as we record this, it's July 19th. Um, at least here in the States, it is. <laughs> uh, it's my daughter's 13th birthday. So, Rylan, I love you. Happy birthday, Angel. Happy birthday. Uh, yes, happy birthday. It's yeah. your day. It's, I can't – 13. I have a teenager. I can't believe it. <laughs> Life is wild. So, I'd say Rylan, uh, first and foremost. Um, always my wife, Ariana, the founder of Stigma App. She's she's made uh, this dream true. A lot of work. Nice. Um, I'm not tech savvy. I get to do the fun podcast. She gets to do the hard work. <laughs> Sure. Um, those are the primary ones. I have, I have sponsors, um, you know, Royal Medical Center, Viva Zen, uh, Rain Energy Drink. Thank you all for your support. You're amazing. Kipling Lavender. These are all just, uh, sponsors I've had for a number of years now that have been great. Um, again, BJJ is an amazing sport. There's a lot of opportunity out there. And, um, again, right people. If you want to be sponsored, ask for sponsorship. I always encourage people, tell them why you're a fan. And then sure. and ask. You have not because you ask not. So if people want to get sponsorships, I did put a video on my YouTube breaking it down, but it's as simple as just saying, hey, I'm a fan. I would buy your stuff anyway, and maybe we can work together. But let's collaborate. And then you'd be really shocked. Sometimes they say yes. Sometimes Under Armour's like, yeah, will you do a shoe commercial? You're like, yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, I never thought of that before, yeah. you know? Sure. Nice, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> like. Mm-hmm. Crazy, like you know, you, you have don't not. Ask, you don't guess. That's it. Yeah. 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 Um, anyone else? I can't no, those people. I, I definitely satisfied the mandatories. I think that'll that'll do it. Um, and if I forgot you, I apologize. Yeah. Um, but, you know, today's gonna if, above all, it's gonna be my daughter's day. So, so sure. happy birthday, uh, Ryan. Uh, I think the only question I've got to ask is when can we have you in the show again next? Man, anytime. We'll just communicate and make it happen. I also want to try to get a buddy of mine. He's been on my show, but he's a UK-based fighter, uh, Modestus Bukalkis. I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he fought in the UFC. He fought on Fight Island. In his last fight, he, he fought uh, Khalil Crabtree and had a horrific knee injury in the octagon. You'll have to rewatch that injury, but he got his knee pretty much kicked backward. Oh, and man. the UFC cut him right after that fight. Uh, he's a UK-based fighter. He's the man. He's the nicest guy. And now he's on the road back to the UFC. So I think that I want to connect you guys. But also, uh, there's a there's a good story. You know, we want to help encourage him to get him back there. Especially Sorry. If can. The, the Dana White and the UFC, more or less, got rid of him after that serious injury in the fight. Correct. That's quite disgusting. And I just I'm thought, I just thought Dana White give one of those milk boys clowns on YouTube if they're hearing fine. But that's my personal opinion of them. Give the guy, is it 125000 or $250,000 for his birthday in raw cash? It's insane. It's insane. And Modestus was one of these guys. He was a UK fighter, knockout artist, kickboxer, 
well-rounded guy. Like, you know, he's a, he, he really stepped it up in the pandemic, went out to Fight Island the first time when everyone was still really scared of COVID. I don't even know how they got him there. Maybe because he came from the UK. I don't know. Maybe, but yeah. he made it there, you know. And I think he fought and won. I think he lost his next fight. They put him with Khalil, who is coming off pretty hot off of the Ultimate Fighter show. He's a good guy. I really like him, too. It was, mm. it was one of those fights I was like, dang, I wish Modestus wasn't fighting him, you know? Like, yeah. dang. And, uh, but obviously I was re- rooting for Modestus. And round one, maybe round two, he got that knee totally kicked in backwards by, like, an oblique kick. It was disgusting. It's one of the worst. It's gross. And then they cut him. I was like, how do they not at least let him rehab and have another fight? Like, how do you not give him another fight? Like, yeah, it's a shame. Yeah. Send, if you can, send me his, um, just so, 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 so I can be sure of his name, so the spelling of his name. Can you send yes. it to me on Instagram? Definitely, I'll send, I'll send me a message and hopefully he might reply because I know even when these guys retire or when they're not fighting or competing, they're still busy doing other stuff. They're training other guys yeah. or doing other interviews and stuff like that. So I know they still got limited free time on their hands. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's what he's doing. I think he's helped training, personal training, trying to stay in fight shape to hopefully get back to the big show. So, um, John, thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, thank you, man. This has been a blast. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Guys, thank you for listening. If you did enjoy that, please um, don't forget to like, subscribe, and please share this content uh, wherever you can. Uh, The show will also be available on Spotify, iTunes, and on on Google Podcasts as well. And, uh, hey, I'll see you guys in the next one. John, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you, brother. Take care. See you, man.